Hey there, folks, and welcome to the Entrepreneur Circle, where we built a community that shares lessons learned throughout our journeys, celebrate wins, our eureka moments, and embrace the F word, meaning failure, which I've come to realize that failure is success in progress. I'm Eric Cabral, your host, a husband, a father of two brilliant girls, and I've been called a heart-centered entrepreneur by my peers and mentors. My mission in life is to make the world a better place, one mic at a time. So I'm happy and humble to have you join in on that mission. And I hope that by the end of the show, we would have added value in your life. So if you're ready to jump into the circle, let's get to it. Hey, I'm so glad you're here because I don't often get the opportunity to share with you exactly what I do and what we do here at On Air Brands. So we help the folks in our community and our clients to launch a podcast and then produce them on a weekly basis. We also help to promote each episode with close to a dozen social media posts that consist of quote cards, sound bites, and video clips. And then we post them for you on your socials automatically. So if you're a business owner with a ton on your plate and a podcast just seems super overwhelming, I get it. We don't need one more thing to worry about. So let me and my team at On Air Brands do the heavy lifting each week so that you can focus on what you do best, which is to build your business, have more time to pour into your family and your community, or just plain chill and recharge. So feel free to email me at eric at On Air Brands so that we can book time together to chat about how we can align with your mission and how you can align with ours, which is to make the world better one mic at a time. Now back to the show. Hey folks, the episode you're about to jump into was a special one because we did it live in my makeshift studio at Earth's N in Princeton, New Jersey, where I talked to one of the founders named Sid Yu. Um, I will be interviewing Mitch Gorshin at some point, his other uh, managing partner, which is a great guy as well. But in this episode, we get into Sid's story. Uh, but a little bit about him and his history is he is a partner in the Inc. CEO project where he helps mid-cap entrepreneurs and uh, business owners from the you know the two million to or the twenty million to two billion dollar range. So he's got a wealth of knowledge and networks there um, that he shares a bit with uh, me on on this episode. He's also the managing partner, like I mentioned, at Earth's End, which is a really great community that they've built uh, where we do a lot of really cool things um, <laughs> that we're not really supposed to talk about. But it is a private membership club where you know we we smoke cigars, uh, we share drinks. Uh, there's events where people come in and teach us how to roll cigars or tastings and pairings and such. It's just a really great place to check out. I would highly recommend uh, if you're in town in New Jersey. Uh, but also, he's got nearly over 20 years of corporate experience and corporate brands with Marriott as an SVP, uh, with Nike, just a ton of knowledge and experience that um, we dive a little bit into. But I know him best uh, at Earth's End and what he's built there in that community, which is fantastic. Um, I can't say enough about it, but this is where we join at the cigar parlor and have a conversation about his story, the power of branding, his passions uh, that lie in the CEO project and how he helps there. And then we also get into AI and how this 
has been unlocked and the good and the bad, the ugly uh, of, of what's to come. So we get into it and it's really interesting. And I love doing this episode with Sid and I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. So without further ado, let's get into this episode with Sid You. Sid, welcome to the Entrepreneur Circle. I'm so happy uh, to be here finally and have a nice conversation, intimate conversation here in your space. You are the co-founder of uh, the at Earth's End, uh, Illy Coffee Shop here in Princeton, New Jersey. Uh, but I just wanted to say thanks, and 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 it's a pleasure to be here with you. Great, Eric. Th- thrilled to be here. Yeah, I um, I'm excited to get into all things uh, business, entrepreneurship, uh, the things that you've accomplished in life. Um, coming from corporate America with with massive brands like Nike and Marriott, and 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 helping to you know expand and grow those internally and, and, and those businesses within, uh, you eventually became an investor or you were probably investing at the time as well. I'd love to unpack that story, um, how you started to own properties, uh, open casinos, uh, all these wonderful things that we can learn lessons from. But I first wanted to start with our question, uh, the eureka moment in your life or business that caused a major change or pivot. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the eureka moment in going from corporate to you know to kind of small medium sized businesses was um, you know I was flying hundreds of thousands of miles a year with Marriott where I was managing their global full service group around the world and you know my kids were young and um, I just said. You know, um, it's time to kind of jump off this, you know, um, the corporate airplane, uh, um, jump from that safety net and really try to do um, uh, innovative ventures um, as risky as that can be. And and I think the moment was literally, um, I think I was flying back from Asia, back to Maryland, where, where Marriott headquarters are based. And um, and this inner voice just kept saying, "It's it's time to go." Mm. And and so um, six months later, I jumped. Mm. Was it a difficult decision? Was it something that you brought home uh, to the CEO of the household? <laughs> Your wife <laughs> was that a difficult joint decision, or were you just like, I, "I've had it. It's time to do it." I think you know, what was difficult was to leave the safety net mm. of corporate to leave, you know, a, you know, the steady income, mm-hmm. but also to kind of leave the, the environment of, 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 of broad strategic issues, right. Of, of massive availability of capital. Mm. And then, you know, jumping into the ups and downs that that all founders, you know, know so well. Yeah. The the experience that you had in corporate, though, and how how many years were you in corporate before Uh, you decided to jump? Over 20. Over 20 years. Right. Um, The the confidence level, the experience, the know-how, did you feel confident or did you feel uh, hesitant in terms of, Okay, what can I build, and and what was that first idea yeah. that you wanted? Um, to, yeah, I think you know, strategy is easy, right? Especially at the corporate level, um, 
And I always tell people that, um, uh, you know, there sometimes, you know, um, strategy is execution and other times execution is strategy. Mm-hmm. Right? And in doing startups, right, and investing in, in ventures, um, you know, tw- 10% is strategy and 90% is a- execution. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, you know, just keep trying. I keep implementing, keep executing. And, you know, and if you're really focused on, on guest satisfaction, on customer satisfaction, um, creating value for them, creating great experiences, right? The business, the money will come. And it's a great leap of faith, right? Um, so, so I think, you know, um, ideas um, are easy. Um, execution and consistency, you know, it's, it's the key. Yeah, absolutely. When it, it, it's all things that you kind of find out. And for me, same experience as you were 20 plus years in corporate America, um, leaving and just taking that leap of faith. Uh, I didn't realize that proximity is power and being around folks such as yourself, uh, finding a network. I was alone and I didn't know real estate investing was a real thing. I had to find a room <laughs> and get in. So did you do anything similar where you're like, uh, okay, I feel alone. Or did you have partners, people, yeah. coworkers? Like what was the first thing? To- um, so when we left corporate America, you know, we had um, several uh, startups in mind already. So, mm-hmm. um, and so in one way, you know, um, you know, one of our startups, um, you know, we, you know, helped create a CEO advisory called the CEO Project, which is to guide hundreds of mid-cap CEOs. Mm-hmm. Um, so... So that was, you know, really in our, you know, um, in our, you know, um, in our sweet spot. All right. Um, the other venture, you know, I'm not even sure you can call it a startup. It was completely a startup, but we were able to raise almost $3 billion oh, to wow. create a mega lifestyle um, company. So when you have that much resource, all right, um, you, you can throw lots of of money at problems and opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, what I find is, you know, kind of the smaller startups that are less capitalized are the ones that are the hardest. Like, mm-hmm. like at this place that we're, we're sitting in, yeah, uh, it's called at Earth's End, right? It's a um, there's almost there's three businesses under one roof. Mm-hmm. It's a private membership house. Um, it's a retail cigar parlor and it's a retail, um, cafe by Illy coffee shop. All right. And, and, you know, um, and, you know, um, you know, this is with our own money, um, our own sweat. Um, so, um, you know, so to me, you know, doing things like these are much harder than doing multi-million, multi-billion dollar startups. Yeah. Are those so, uh, venture-backed businesses, ideas that you're referencing? Because I mean, you, you mentioned the CEO project and like one of the first things when you left corporate. So you had other partners, yeah. people that friends yeah. or yeah. co-workers partners, that were like, right. let's do this together. And yeah. you guys Partners, left. you know, in, in the mega resort, uh, you know, mm. private equity groups. Okay. You know, so you um, funds and yeah. investments, right? You know, this 
Yeah. You know, um, you know, building, uh, you know, uh, um, private clubs, retail ventures in upscale suburbs, you know, that's our own funding, right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, that's our own, own gig. Uh, that's much harder. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's currently what I'm experiencing too. And, and, and you don't know until you jump in and do it, but the, um, I'm curious about the other stuff that you're doing and supporting, um, CEOs, uh, with the CEO project. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, the CEO project um, is what we call the advanced, um, CEO advisory and CEO advisory boards. So we work with CEOs of mid-cap companies starting at around 20, 25 million up to uh, uh, CEOs who run companies um, up, up to about 2 billion. Our sweet spot is to work with companies in around the 50 million to $750 million range. And what we do, it's, you know, um, we create CEO advisory boards for them. Um, and then our advisors also guide the CEOs on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. And the idea is to um, create focus for them around solving for one critical constraint a quarter. Mm -hmm. right. So if you think about it, we're all so busy. And um, yet, if we're able to step back and focus on working on the business mm -hmm. a lot more than purely just working in the business. Mm -hmm. If we do that on a consistent basis, right, then our CEOs can remove the kinks in the hose mm -hmm. that's blocking them from growing, right? So if you think about a water hose, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, and if the flow of water is not always strong and powerful, why? There are kinks along that hose. Mm -hmm. And many times, you know, we're fighting to drive more water in to the hose, right? Versus understanding what are those kinks mm -hmm. that could be, you know, um, scaling up processes as we grow. Mm -hmm. uh, that could be... Um, better systems and processes as mm -hmm. we scale. That could be leadership team. That could be a product, a better product roadmap, right? So we encourage the CEOs um, to identify what's the most critical constraint they're facing each quarter mm -hmm. and then work with them to remove that constraint. If they do that, then they're actually allowing the rest of the companies, right, the rest of their associates to to work much better. Mm, I love that. Often though, I imagine, um, myself included in this, is we have a, a level of self-awareness that's typically, hopefully, a higher than average person, but they may not know some of the kinks, right? Because typically, from my experience so far, is like uh, there's typically three bottlenecks or four where we're like, like I know I'm the bottleneck as a CEO, always, I always blame myself, take accountability, but then there's also customer acquisition, talent, like you said, systems and processes are maybe off. Um, um, capital is a big one. So right. how do your, how does your team, I feel like, you know, this advisory board help to identify for each individual because they may not know, right? They have blind spots. Uh, is that something yeah. you guys um, focus on? So, you know, 
So we work with them to ensure that there's an annual plan, mm. right? Um, that really drive top and bottom line. And then at the beginning of the year, we really identify what are the top two or three constraints that their companies face, right? And so um, it's an ongoing dialogue, but also because they're now part of a advisory board of seven to eight other high-level CEOs, mm-hmm. um, that that they're now accountable not just to their own team, they're now accountable to their own ad- advisory board. Right? Yeah. So those conversations get very real and very transparent very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're running a $100 million business or even a half a billion dollar business, um, those are the loneliest jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, if you run a $10 billion business, you have a lot of resources, mm-hmm. right? When you're running a $200 million business, you may have the complexity of a $5 billion business, but you don't nearly have as many resources. So those CEOs are truly sitting by themselves. Mm-hmm. So they find that having a very powerful, very strong CEO advisory board is critical, right? Mm-hmm. They help them identify the issues, the constraints, but also help them to work that through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's... Are these typically companies that um, have legacy, have been around for decades, or um, are they? They they vary greatly. Uh, you know, so many of our CEOs are founders, mm-hmm. and they've built the companies from you know from zero to one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and now these companies may be a hundred million, two hundred million. Others um, are kind of hired hands. They may walk into a $100 million company, a half a billion dollar company. But but what's interesting, it's that regardless of the industry and regardless of the size of the company, the challenges tend to be very similar. Mm-hmm. Right? It doesn't matter if you're mm-hmm. running a tech company, a manufacturing company, a service company, right? The issues are capital, leadership team. As you grow, right? The process that works for you at 100 million no longer works as you're trying to become a $300 million business. Mm. So those issues repeat themselves again and again and again. If you have an ERP, right, uh, system that works when you're doing, you know, a million customers and now you have 5 million customers, your, you know, your ERP system no longer scales, mm. right? So even when you fix one thing, Two years later, you know, the thing that was solved becomes a con- constraint again. Mm. I'm, I'm curious because, you know, you're, you, you say 100 million, you know, billion dollar companies. Uh, typically, we work with and, you know, I'm in uh, groups where, you know, there are six figures going to seven and then eight, you right. know. So it, would you say, you know, in terms of the audience for us and for myself to relate, is it the same problems, just m- m- more capital or more can you uh, yeah 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 share some of the differences or similarities uh, when you get to that level i think the challenges say between a million dollar company and a hundred million dollar company right um when you kind of peel back the onion right 
it starts with the fundamentals of who's your customer, what are their needs, and how are you solving for those needs? Mm -hmm. um, do you have the right value proposition? Do you have the right customer journey? Um, you know, do you have the right price value equation? Right. I think, um, you know, do you have the right set of culture? Mm -hmm. um, do you have the right set of values that you define for your company? I think those things are very consistent regardless if you are a $100,000 company mm -hmm. or a billion dollar company. Mm -hmm. Now, how you address for those, how you solve for those, right? That the complexity may change, but the questions are the same. Mm -hmm. um, so um, now, of course, if you're bigger, you know, then you, then you want to tackle more questions, mm -hmm. right? But if you're small, right, s stay simple. Mm. You know, who are your customers? How do you create demand? What are the most important channels? Um, um, you know, um, uh, yeah. uh, what is the right employee to hire? Mm -hmm. What's the right set of values? Um, you know, stick with the basics. You do the basics well, right? Um, also, create a great brand, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, What's the promise of your brand that matters to customers? How do you deliver that promise consistently? How do you define a customer journey where that promise is delivered at every touch point? Mm -hmm. Right? Those, those are the basics. Yeah. You do that well, right? And and you know, and as you get bigger, there'll be other problems. But starting off, right, keep to the basics. But we tell our CEOs. Even if you're running a half a billion dollar company, make sure you're doing the basics well first. Yeah. Oftentimes, though, I imagine these companies um, have, have, you know, they, they've reached a high level of success. Most most people have not experienced, right? So they, they, they you can get very confident in that like, hey, I, I, I did everything right to get to this point, Sid. Uh, what are you going to tell me that's new? And then if you go back to the basics, how often, how is that received from these high level CEOs yeah. when you're telling them things that are like, yeah, I know this because I'm sure there's a high level of ego involved at times. Um, can you talk about some of those challenges or if there are any? Well, we in the CEO project, uh, you know, we do something. Um, we try to identify CEO clients who share certain values. Mm -hmm. And two of the most important ones are being humble mm -hmm. and being constant learners. Mm -hmm. And so if, you know, if the CEOs that we work with have those traits, Right, they know that they don't always have the answer, and that you know, what worked in the past doesn't mean that will work in the future. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so having clients like that as a standard um, creates the right environment. Yeah. Um, so, I think I think that's a starting point. Yeah. Second, um, you know, um, problems changes and solution changes as the business gets more complex and as business as businesses get larger. So, um, you know, so I think leaders who think that they have everything solved, right, you know, are the ones who don't scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, 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 it's fascinating to, to, 
look above, you know, because we're, we're, we're many, many rungs down in terms of my business and, and, and a lot of the people that we work with um, uh, looking to get to that point. So the CEOs that you're working with don't necessarily own the businesses. There's a board of directors, I imagine, that they have to sort of appeal. Yeah, it's, or it's, it's a mix. It's a mix. Some okay. are owners, some okay. are founders, you know, some are, are, are hired guns. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so... I love I love what you're talking about in terms of um, making sure they're like a good fit in terms of culture, growth mindset, having a, an abundant mindset uh, per se. Um, I, I, I kind of want to go a little bit back to what you said uh, earlier in terms of um, how important brand is, and I think that um, I think culture is kind of fused in there as well because if you have a team of people that understand the vision, then it's easy for everyone because they're rowing all rowing in the same direction. Versus, um, I imagine, and I'm just uh, making assumptions here because I, when I was in corporate, it was hard to shift and make a change because it was like, you know, the Titanic was, you know, <laughs> to right the ship to, you know, two degrees to the, to the right. It, it, it took a year. Um, are, are these typically problems that the CEOs, uh, at that level experience, or is it all sort of the same? It's like, Hey, let's just make this happen. So, um, yeah. So, you know, you really asked about brands mm -hmm. and culture, yeah, right? And I think that's actually a great question because a lot of times I think people don't realize that great brands and great culture are actually part of the same conversation, mm -hmm. right? So what's a brand? Right? And a brand is fundamentally, right? What's the promise of a company that it's going to deliver to its customer on a day in day out basis, right? And how does that promise create the North Star, the framework for how right, all the employees in a company behave, right? Which, you know, behavior and beliefs is fundamentally culture. But culture, right, and brand, it's, you know, kind of the opposite side of the same coin. Mm -hmm. So take Nike. Mm -hmm. Right, you know, when you when a lot of, when you ask a lot of people what is Nike, they go, oh, "It's footwear. It's apparel." All right, um, um, but you know, the core promise of Nike is to help athletes win. Mm -hmm. Right, so when Nike leaders make decisions, it fundamentally asks. Will the decision that they make help athletes and teams perform better? Mm. That's the North Star. Mm -hmm. Now, look at Nike's culture, right? Um, one of its core cultures, there's no finish line. Mm. All right. Um, uh, so everything about its culture is tied to its North Star of helping athletes and teams win. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, who Nike hires, right? You know, Nike associates kind of get it. By getting it, I mean, it, you know, the associates at Nike understand what athletes go through, mm -hmm. what athletes, you know, have to use to perform on the field, right? So, so if you hire somebody who doesn't kind of get it about sports, right? Um, if you hire an associate who doesn't understand 
the emotional engagement of sports and how sports goes beyond sports and talk about, you know, that sports, it's a parallel for, you know, um, good versus evil, right? Winning versus losing, overcoming obstacles and creating those uh, emotional engagement beyond sports. So, you know, so my advice is, you know, for any leader, really understand what your promise, right, of, of your company is, right? But then understand what are the core values that your associates have to believe in for them to deliver that promise. Yeah, I love this, Sid. You're, you're speaking in my, in, in, on my, this is my space, man. I love, I love, <laughs> I love branding. I, I, I wanted to get like a, maybe an example because you've, 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 you've worked in so many amazing brands. Like I said, Nike, uh, Marriott, cr- uh, creating, um, you know, Revel in Atlantic City, all these amazing brands that you've been a part of and then built on your own. Can you talk maybe of one of the experiences, um, you know, being the founder CEO to these companies where you started the brand sure. or you, you, you shifted the brand, something went in. What were some of the, 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 the elemental pieces to make it succeed? Let's talk about at our 10. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, we're sitting yeah. Yeah. in, you know, in, in the cigar parlor. Um, so we, you know, my business partner, Mitch Gorshin and I created at Earth's end. And the idea is that we wanted to create second places, which are destinations for upscale achievers in the suburbs. Right? And we wanted to create these second places for them that kind of nurtures the spirit of what makes them feel alive. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, you know, so that's our promise that when they walk into, if they're a member of our private houses, that their spirit as a human being is nourished right? and they feel more alive. Because you know, we all have kind of global perspective. We have lived in large cities and we move to the suburbs for family and work. Mm-hmm. And what we say is that everybody is really scared to wave the white flag when we move to the suburbs, right? Our network strengths, mm-hmm. our, you know, our friends, you know, become the parents, right, of yeah. our kids' friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our friends become our immediate, you know, come from immediate neighbors. So how do we create these second places where you can really build deep, true camaraderie with a broader network, mm-hmm. right? Um so when we design these private houses, right, we wanted to design both the physical space, the services, but also the environment that kind of nurtures the purpose of camaraderie, mm-hmm. the, the sense of adventure, the, the sense of, 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 of us civility. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of kind of these um, emotional design behind this brand. Yeah. I, you're giving me flashbacks when we first spoke probably a year, over a year ago, 
through through Zoom, and you were basically pitching me everything you just said. <laughs> um, but we had a good, you know, uh, amount of time, an hour plus, uh, chatting about each other and lives, and 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 then you started to talk about this place. And he's like, Eric, just come down and see it, and and that was one of the hallmarks and threads that was consistent throughout. Not just you saying it, but every employee, uh, Eric, it's your second place. Because I was a little hesitant when we met, and 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 I came here, and you're like, this would be a great spot for you. We want you to be a part of it. And then I'll tell you the true thing that. Uh, if 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 it was subconscious or conscious, I don't re- recall. But you you made me feel special, and I think that everyone that's that comes in here, whether they're a patron getting a cup of coffee or a, a, a member of the private club, um, they always feel special, right? We, we always feel like we're treated um, with, with, like you said, there's, there's civility, there's respect, um, there's 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 joy, there's all these hallmarks that. Um, that are threaded and consistent. Uh, so I just want to commend you for that. Um, I, I appreciate what you and, and, and Mitch have built here. Uh, but I want to get to the next segment, brother, where uh, we talk about embracing the F word, meaning failure. So a lesson in life or business that caused you to, you know, it's like, don't make these mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting. Uh, so I mentioned that one of the things that I got involved with after leaving corporate was actually, you know, you know um, helping to create Revel. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the first venture at Revel was building a multi-billion dollar resort and casino in Atlantic City. And this was in, you know, around 2010 period. And from many aspects, this was a highly innovative product, right? Um, but in terms of the effort of failure, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, I learned through that is be one step ahead of the market, be one step ahead of the customer, but don't be two or three steps ahead. Because mm. sometimes, even though everything you're doing is right, the market may not be ready for it. Mm. So as an example, uh, we, you know, in the casino part of the business, we made it non-smoking. Mm-hmm. This was... 2010 through 2012 period. Now, um, so everybody knows that, you know, a lot of people who gamble smoke. Mm -hmm. But because we were much more of a lifestyle resort, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of people who prefer the entertainment and lifestyle um, atmosphere don't smoke. Mm -hmm. So how do you balance and how do you attract people who smoke, who gamble, and a lot of people in lifestyle entertainment who don't smoke, right? So we decided to make the entire place non-smoking. Long run, that's the right choice. Yeah. Short run, right, that really Mm -hmm. um, created a barrier and a constraint, especially for our slot players. Mm -hmm. Now, um, now, if we went in now with that policy, There'll be a non-issue because mm-hmm. of vaping. Yeah, All right. But you were ahead of the curve, absolutely. Yeah, but we were too far ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. I love that. All right. So, so that's just one small example of almost being too far ahead of the market. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so interesting you say that because um, you know, labeled as visionary, you know, typically will. Uh, cast that vision and see, you know, <laughs> more than just the year, two years ahead, like you said, maybe five, 10 years ahead. Um, and 
Revel, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, it, it was very famous, especially here in New Jersey. We were very much looking forward to, well, well we saw it being erected and being built and the brand and everything. And it's, um, uh, it, it got acquired eventually, right, um, from, I forget the, the name of it now. Um, it's now called Ocean. Ocean, that's right. right. Uh, but when you go in there, I, you see what you've built, right? I know that the brand has changed and everything has changed, but were there any other instances in there where similar, I, like, I love that example of the smoking, um, were there any other things that you would have done differently? Um, well, yeah. So the resort um, had a very, you know, um, th the resort level, the resort experience was very separated from the gaming experience. Mm -hmm. Right. Although the people who game and you know, gamble want immediate access from the resort to the gaming floor. Mm -hmm. That's why when you walk into casinos from around the world, you go down an elevator, it opens up into slot machines. Mm -hmm. Right, People who gamble, who play slots, love that. Everybody else who stays at the resort hates that. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So we decided to build an experience where you have to, you know, like really go, uh, you have to go out of your way to get onto the gaming floor. Mm -hmm. Again, the resort and lifestyle customer loved it. The slot players hated it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so one lesson learned there was we could have designed something where if you chose to enter through the, you know, on the gaming floor, you could. If you chose to, you know, um, go to the lifestyle section, you could mm -hmm. versus just forcing everybody to go go through the lifestyle section. Gotcha. I do appreciate. Yeah, I never really compartmentalized it um, that way. Where there are definitely different audiences when you go to casinos. Um, so there's a happy medium you're saying though, like, cause I, I love the idea that you doubled down and said, Hey, we're, we know what we are and we know who we cater to. And we're going to, we're going to pour into this part of the, the, the customer journey. Um, but now you're saying there's a way to kind yeah. of just have a happy medium. Well, and just to be clear is, you know, creating happy medium is not creating things on the average, right? Mm -hmm. It's, creating choices where a person can take path A or path B, mm. right? Versus only one path where that path is average. Mm -hmm. Each path needs to be really special, but create enough paths, creating different customer journeys for different segments of the audience. Mm. Yeah, that sounds very complex. But <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll save that yeah. for another episode. I'd love to hear more about that. Uh, but as we uh, get closer to our time together, because I know you have another meeting um, shortly, um, let's talk about um, sort of what you're doing now. I know you have a lot of projects going on. The CEO project is, is one of them. Is there anything else um, that you wanted to to share? Uh, well, you know, at Earth's End, uh, so we have one open in Haddonfield, which is an upscale suburb uh, outside of Philadelphia. We opened up Princeton about nine months ago. Uh, we're looking into a couple of other markets in New Jersey, uh, in Montclair and Summit. Uh, we're looking to open up a, a few at Earth's End um, in the main line in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. uh, you probably know the usual suspects, Ardmore, mm -hmm. Wayne, uh, PA, near Villanova. Eventually, we'll head down to Greater D.C., mm. uh, the Bethesda's and Chevy Chase of the world, the Reston's, 
um, of the world. And after that, we will probably head up to the suburbs of Connecticut, New York, and at Long Island. And after that, who knows? Uh, so just kind of Earth and alone, we we think we have uh, a, a long, fun journey. And then in another life, um, you know, we're about to make an investment in a um, a a data tech company, which at, at some point I would I would love to share. Yeah, so. yeah. Is it uh, involve AI at all? <laughs> um, what we're buying it's a research decision making tool. Um, that actually exists for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it uses the principles of AI before AI. Mm. Pre-AI. Existed. Yeah. Right? But the principles of AI, things like slow and fast decision-making, mm-hmm. expert decision um, systems, right? Mm-hmm. Expert thinkers. Um, you know, those are some of the fundamental design of AI you know, that you design into algorithms. Um, so there's certain products, especially in the research and data decision side, that have existed before algorithm I- I existed. Mm. So the opportunity is how do you take those really core products that worked well and now use those fundamentals and just advance the technology around that. Mm. How, how do you feel, Sid, about, you know, AI, um, you know, what's happened over the course of the year has has, has been, uh, you know, unlike anything in history in terms of yeah. it's, it's being released into the public. Uh, good, bad, w- what are your thoughts behind AI and, and its well, future? Well, regardless if we like it or not, it's coming, right? It's coming really fast. Um, um, I think that, um, you know, the human impact has to be considered, mm-hmm. right? And, and so, you know, everybody who is creating AI driven businesses, right? Um, also needs to look at its impact on humans, impact on, on society and, and also play a role in addressing that. I mean, you know, AI for the most part is going to create wonderful positive change. Mm-hmm. But it's also creates significant disruption mm-hmm. in our economy, in jobs, right, in how we work. And, you know, um, so it's coming. Uh, you know, there's no easy answers, but, um, but we can't only look at one side of this, right? You know, there's no right or wrong. Uh, there is, you know, there's going to be disruption and it's, you know, um, and it's like, what's the role of each person in helping to lessen that disruption as AI kind of takes over? Mm. What do you think about the uh, formation of some sort of uh, think tank, you know, that has a musk on it or, or you know, the innovators in this space having the conversation? Because it seems like there's there's a lot of like, you seem it's like there's a lot of responsibility and forward thinking on the potential impacts. And you could potentially even use AI to say, hey, predict <laughs> the impact of this decision and where it will yeah. go. Um, yeah. How do you feel about some think tank to kind yeah. of make those decisions? Because the well, government clearly doesn't know what's going on. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to answer your question on the think tank, mm-hmm. but I will 
um, kind of share something that I found interesting. Um, I was in an Uber uh, several nights ago going to the airport. And the, and the person who was driving was actually a founder of a tech company, mm. right? And, you know, it was Uber partially to, you know, bring some extra cash, but also just to talk to, to people, right? And, and get a better un- understanding, you know? Um, mm. um, and what he shared was really interesting, you know, and the thought just went out of my head. Uh, God. Yeah, his 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 thought was interesting. I, I love that idea of like becoming an Uber driver on the side just to do some market research, yeah, right, yeah. to learn to, to meet yeah. more people. Um, but um, Eric, at at some point, uh, uh, let me see, I'll remember what he said, but but it's actually very very quite profound. Mm. Where he talked about impact of AI, that AI will be designed into everything, right? But the conversation that we were having was, where does AI stop and end in terms of true creativity, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because AI fundamentally looks at what has happened in the past, mm-hmm. right? And then uses that to predict and move to the future, mm-hmm. right? But you know, what's the essence of core human creativity? And can you know, machines, can algorithm right, actually solve for core human creativity? I'm not mm-hmm. talking about making an ad mm-hmm. or a voiceover, right? We're talking about fundamental human thought and change. Yep. And, you know, um, and you know, there's you know, probably half the people involved thinks it can, half the people involved thinks it can't. Yeah. But what he said was, if AI does that, then it's game over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And I feel like we could, <laughs> I want to go, I, I feel like we, we got to a point where I want to continue that conversation, uh, but I know we're, we're, we're getting to the, to the tail end of this. Um, but AI is fascinating. Um, just, just, uh, you know, to, to put my stake in, 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 in opinion in terms of like where it could potentially go. I, I want to have a, I want to have, I want to be optimistic. Um, but I do see some irresponsible, uh, sort of tendencies where, like you said, especially in the creative space, when it comes to anything creative, whether it be music, whether it be writing, whether it be, you know, writer strike, um, you know, actors on strike, there's all this stuff that's being disrupted. Um, and, and, and I think that money can really influence people's decision to lean even heavier into AI and less, and like you said, the, the human aspect and how it's going to impact us as a society, um, and then leaning into something that's way, we don't know yet, right? It's too soon, too early. And that's why I talked about the think tank, because maybe it's a, it's, it's, it's a slow release versus just like they open Pandora's box, can't stuff the genie back in at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll jump into the hot water and talk about like tech and AI and everything where it's like, you know, if you look at the UAW strike right now, mm-hmm. one of the demands is that it'll guarantee that the majority of the current jobs are kept, mm-hmm. right? You know, even as, as, you know, as, as cars, you know, get into EV and, and, and other tech and enable, 
That's craziness, right? Mm -hmm. You can't guarantee current economic framework, current jobs when the market changes. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that car companies don't have a role in helping transition those workers, Mm -hmm. right? Um, You know, the same for, you know, you know, in the strikes with writers and actors, AI is coming, right? Um, but how do you help people transition th- mm-hmm. through that? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, uh, it, I mean, that's a fascinating journey. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to live through uh, yeah. something major, which is, you know, um, I'm, I'm fascinated and, and, and curious to see, but I hope that, um, yeah. you know, I, to our, you know, because we have children, you and I, it's, it's I hope whatever's left when we're gone is some semblance of, of, of hope, uh, maybe a utopia eventually, who knows, in a hundred or a thousand years where, you know, with Neuralink and all these things that are coming in, it just seems like there's going to be a fusion of, of this versus the, the science fiction version of yeah. it where they take over, maybe there's some happy meeting yeah. where we can all come together. I mean, I think ultimately there's no clear black and white, mm-hmm. right and wrong, good, you know, good or evil. Mm-hmm. It's in, 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 yes. in, in. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Brother, um, before we wind down and uh, we turn the lights and the cameras off here, uh, in one word, how do you help people? One word, um, probably I help people create clarity. Mm, I love that. I love that. Did you want to expand on that? Um, leave it there. No, I'll, I'll just leave it there. It's it's um, helping people see around the corner. Yeah. Help, helping them understand what's important, helping them create focus. I love that. And I imagine the CEO project is probably a big piece of that and yeah. how you help with that. I appreciate that. Uh, how can people reach out to you? How can they know more? Um, well, if, let me see, if you're around here in Princeton, New Jersey, uh, you know, uh, right off Palmer Square in Nassau, uh, stop by at our den. Um, you know, you can visit our, you know, the retail part of this, which is the Illy, uh, coffee shop and the cigar parlor. Yeah. The, awesome. uh, member's house, it's, it's a close four members, but, but, uh, we certainly welcome you. That's at 45 Spring Street in in at Princeton. Awesome. So cool. Well, I appreciate your time, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you, dude. Thank you, Eric. Thanks. Cheers. That's it for now, folks. If you'd like to stay in touch with the show, you can contact me directly at eric at onairbrands.com. That's eric, E-R-I-K at onairbrands.com. And if you aren't already subscribed to the show, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or any other podcast platform. And please recommend us to one or two people in your circle. That will go a long, long way to growing our community. Also, if you could rate us on iTunes, just take a moment uh, to give us five stars. And if they have more stars, give all of them. We'd greatly appreciate you for that. And always, always like, subscribe, and share, share, share this show on social media. We'd love you for that as well. And if you have any ideas or want to hear something on a future show, please hit us up. Maybe you have a question for one of my guests or you want to uh, tell a story, a success story. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can do that, especially if you're on the Anchor platform. You can leave us a voice message. We'd love to incorporate you and your voice on a future episode. Once again, folks, thanks again for listening to the Entrepreneur Circle. Please like, subscribe, and share, share, share. I am Eric Cabral, and as always, remember, your network 
is your net worth. So get in the circle. <laughs>